Stay tuned now for a special broadcast, excerpts of Mendocino Latinx Alliance's November program, Historical Context of Racial Relations Among Latino and Native Populations in California, part one of three virtual programs they will offer on this topic over this winter. The first voice is Roseanne Ibarra of the Mendocino Latinx Alliance. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Our group formed back in April of 2018, and we are modeled after a group in Sonoma County called Los Cien. And our mission uh, for Mendocino Latinx Alliance is to create community understanding of the Latinx experience and unity through shared learning and leadership. So for today's program, um, we are discussing the historical context of racial relations among Latino and Native American populations. And this is a topic that our steering committee has been discussing for some time. And um, in the initial planning of this uh, program, we found that it was difficult to find speakers that were willing to um, touch this issue because it is um, complex and, um, and also painful. I would say painful. Um, In my own personal experience growing up here in Mendocino County and with the background that I have, so I'm Latina and Native American, um, I can say I have firsthand experience um, witnessing and experiencing the dynamic between my two cultures. Um, And sometimes, you know, there's both positive and negative. And so I ask for all of all of it, you today, um, you know, to, to be respectful of each other, and that um, this is Mendocino Latinx Alliance first time uh, engaging and examining um, a race relations through a dialogue of this type. So I just want to um, say that I imagine some of the topics that we'll be covering may be triggering for some. So please, um, it it may stir up memories or feelings. So please take care of yourself. And if you're you're needing to step away, please do so. If you have questions or comments to share, please do so. I only ask that you do so with the best of intentions and that we all have, you know, that we're, we're showing up here with whole hearts and that you come from a place of curiosity. Um, And I, I honestly believe that we all have so much to learn from each other. And that um, uh, what I see uh, in particular among Native, um, among Native American and Latino populations is that there's an abundance of similarities. And that, um, you know, I, I sort of think of us as cousins, but also the truth is, is that many of us are family. And um, so I ask that we proceed into this conversation with love in our hearts and that um, we have the intention of opening ourselves um, and possibly to wounds, but that we allow um, healing in. So I um, ask that creator bless all of you, the generations before you and the generations that will follow you. So it is my distinct honor to welcome and introduce Professor V, also known as Chiotima and Tio Gandhi. And so Professor V was born in Guanajuato, Mexico. Um, she, her experience was formed by an immigrant experience in the southern part of the U.S., northern Peru, um, and Doha, Qatar. Professor V is a transdisciplinary cultural producer and educator with 14 years of experience working through art, 
performance, music, hip hop, writing, red medicine, cultural organizing, traditional ecological knowledge, and danza mexica. And Dio Gandhi is a two-spirit um, from the Hadusini Aquasini Mohawk Nation. Uh, they are a beat producer, hip hop artist, and educator. Dio's art speaks on the topics of lived experiences of navigating indigenous sovereignty, the land back movement, ongoing rematriation, decolonization, and food sovereignty work across Turtle Island and intersections and LGBTQIA identity. Dio's work is interge intergenerationally rooted, committed to sakin or peace, living autonomously and being proud of who you are. So thank you both for joining us. Thank you, uh, Roseanne, for inviting us and for having us here today. Uh, it's an honor to be here uh, speaking with you all and in this circle with my cousin, Dio. Hey, yes, likewise. Thank you for having us. I feel so honored to be in this space and really appreciative of that, um, that intro and that, and that prayer as well. So. My name is Dio Ganti, and I'm grateful to be here. As I mentioned, I'm a person uh, with mixed heritage, with different bloodlines, bloodlines of migrants, bloodlines of natives, both from uh, what is now Turtle Island to uh, Anahuaca. And so I think that just to begin with, uh, I think what we have to really challenge is, is these ideas of race and these ideas um, all that have been constructed since the beginning of the colonial period uh, in the apocalypse of 1492 to create a caste system and, and, and to also create uh, different power dynamics between the different castes, right? And so we have to, uh, as we do this work and we do this you know, and, you know, we do this work to dismantle these systems, we do this work to decolonize, to unlearn and, and also supplant that, that learning with something else to reconnect back to ancestral knowledge. We also have to acknowledge that racism is very real and the, 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 the structural, um, the structures that have contained and, and sort of uh, maintain these systems of oppression are very real. So I think the first thing to, to discuss is, is this, this notion of the labels have, that have been placed on us, right? And I think that's one of the first things that we have to look at. And if, we, if, if you look at stories and if you look at um, history um, throughout the different parts of this land of Turtle Island and Anahuaca, you see that for, since time immemorial, we have had very strong exchanges. Um, I don't, I'm not a person that wants to romanticize. Of course, we've had many different difficulties throughout different centuries prior to colonization, through colonization to this day. But we've also had a lot of alliances and we've also had a lot of, of different moments of exchange. We see that just in the in the foundation of our societies. And we see that particularly in the three sisters, right? In the foundation of our food and how it is that we are made up, our bodies are made up, our mind, our spirit is fed, it's through the three sisters. And these three sisters unite us from the farthest north to the farthest south. So just on the basis of who we 
are literally what makes up our bones and blood we are connected by the, the, the ancestral food and and the and the relationships that have been developed since time immemorial for thousands of years through these foods through time and space so i'm gonna pass it to dio and we can start talking first with the foods um but i think yes. you know well, we went back and forth but yes. you know we have to really look at that we're made out of corn beans and squash yes thank you thank you for that i'm like oh it's corn time it is corn time <laughs> um yes i felt all of that and Although my time in Ukaya, you know, was brief, like I, you know, very surface level experience, enjoyed my time there. And I remember thinking it was a, you know, beautiful place that felt diverse. Um, where I come from, my homelands um, were colonized by, or attempted to be colonized by the French and the English. Um, if you wouldn't mind mute, muting, if you can. Um, so my homelands are in what is, you know, occupied upstate New York and the colonial powers that terrorized us were the French and the English and the Dutch. Um, so that's like what's heavy influence where I live. And so a lot of my homelands, there's a, a lot of white people. So that was like one of the most just really beautiful parts about being in California was feeling and although there was a language barrier, it felt like relatives and cousins were all over. And that on, on some surface level made, made me feel um, more comfortable. And so that, it was my experience in, in Ukiah and traveling through Mendocino and traveling through um, Northern California as well and living in, in California. Um, I, I definitely, had to break down my own um, barriers as well when I moved to California because there was so much, um, you know, racist rhetoric that I had grown up with, um, anti-immigrant sentiment um, that you hear all the time being in, in rural places like upstate New York. Um, and I didn't, it took me a while to understand that like, oh, we, we were colonized by English speaking people. Well, folks from the South were colonized by people who speak Spanish. And that's the divide is that we don't understand each other because there's a massive language barrier um, for many people, right? Um, but things that connect us and that is so beautiful to bond over are, are items like corn, you know, and tracing back the roots of corn. And so for us, the, the Haudenosaunee, you know, otherwise known as the Iroquois people, we are, we're, known for our corn and corn is something that is so sacred to us and like many other indigenous people it's was used for a variety of things and continues to be a staple of our diets and our culture and rematriation efforts as well as like food sovereignty efforts that are you know ongoing um and corn is this like binding element between so many different indigenous people and it's such a beautiful thing to me to recognize that this corn came, it came from the South, you know, when you follow the roots and the, and the tra uh, the trails of the seed. Um, and corn is so beautiful to me because it, it, it has to be planted. And so that involves us, the people 
um, planting it. And so that is a thinking back over time that is such a beautiful and unifying event that many different indigenous people partook in and continue to partake in today. So I'm so happy you brought up the food and the corn because I'm, I'm a gardener, farmer, and that's something that I definitely will be planting next year as well as traditional strains of Haudenosaunee corn. Um, thank you for sharing that, Gio. Um, you know, when I migrated to the U.S., part of the, the migration was due to the U.S. Uh, predatory, um, uh, both financial um, um, impositions, but also the constant military threat that it presents to, both to the indigenous peoples uh, and people, communities of color within the United States, within Turtle Island, but also outside of Turtle Island. Um, and um, many of the people in my community uh, migrated. Um, my grandfather, who was a farmer at that point, lost his land, like many uh, farmers in that period of time. And, uh, for, you know, it dislocated our family. And so the first person that left was my father. But then you know, um, in the migration process, I understood um, what I was not, but I also understood what I was and how important it was for me to remember. And this act of remembrance, I think, has to go beyond our own individual uh, body and self, what we're able to be in this life right now, in this, in this moment, um, as a universal force. But I think we also have to look into our family lineages. And then beyond that, we have to look into those larger families. So when I first, you know, started uh, becoming an active member in, in, in Turtle Island, a community member, um, I would do work, um, I would do a lot of work for migrant rights. And um, oftentimes, Native folks from different uh, regions, both uh, in, in different parts of uh, what is now called Virginia, would come and tell us, you know, um, the border didn't, uh, you didn't cross the border, the border crossed you. And I think that was really important for me as a young person, as a young migrant, as a young organizer, to have, again, this um, more in-depth memory, right? More in-depth memory of these, of these uh, relationships, more in-depth memory of movement. Uh, and then, you know, through the years, I've uh, looked at my family's uh, stories closely, um, and many of the, the people in my family, for one or another reason, um, would move to California, would be migrating up and down uh, from central Mexico to California. And so this also this idea, I think, that we have to think about is, uh, and that is very present in my music, is very present also in Dio's music, is, is this idea also of the ways in which these colonial settler governments want to rule and control our movement as people. 
uh, autonomies of our bodies, the autonomies of different nations, um, and also just the movement of ideas, the movement of people, the movement of seeds. Um, and that is one of the reasons that across the world, not just in Turtle Island, but across the world, you see Australia, you, you see what's happening in different parts of Europe, um, the different pressures that are being put on migrants, um, yet at the same time, the pimping and manipulation that goes on, right? And, and so I think something that is happening is not only is, this, um, is there a technique to suppress multiple communities and to divide communities, but also to, to not allow for this dialogue, right? Um, both in, for example, I have a lot of friends, one of my best friends who's a, um, a producer who has produced music for Dio and for myself, um, he's undocumented and he is unable to physically move back to Mexico, to where he's from. And so in these way, the government it creates these systems of controlling, right? Similar to the reservations, we can think about how these were systems to control and to try to diminish autonomy. And so when we're looking concretely at what are the relationships and the different things that we need to build, we have to support each other's autonomies. We have to support each other's movements. Right. And so that means not only am I responsible to support native people here in Turtle Island, but I'm responsible to support native people back home. I'm responsible to try to bring the connections and exchanges because that is that is our way we share with each other. That is one of the principles, I think, that could not be diminished or or colonized or destroyed. Thank you for that. All those truths right there. Dang. Um, I, I definitely, I, I feel that. And, you know, through visiting the border in the South, I learned a lot about, um, yeah, this colonizing mechanism and this genocidal project that is the United States. Um, my people in Aquasusni, there's a border that was put, a Canadian border was put through the middle of our territory. So one side of our res is on Canada, the other side is on the United States. So you have to pass through customs to get to your cousin's house to go for dinner. Um, and it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to, to live like that, you know, for people who have to do that on the daily, it takes up a lot of time. And it is sometimes, you know, has to be normalized as a way of, as a way of life. But it is a um, hyper-militarized zone um, that is put there to diminish us and weaken us and stop us from naturally trading and traveling and migrating um, and being with family and sharing medicines. And it was through visiting the Tohono O'odham, um, you know, by the Pima River um, and the border goes through their homelands and through, you know, folks there sharing about how ceremony is, is cut off, you know, and the, and the same, the same feelings of disconnection and displacement from your people because, because of a border. Um, and I was like, oh, these, these borders are, they're meant to weaken us, you know, these, these language divides, they're, they're there to weaken us, to separate us, to, you know, have us um, being loyal to, to these false, false nations that, um, aren't aren't and haven't 
you know, brought us any solace. Um, and, you know, I always say that the genocide is ongoing. Our land, our land is still stolen. You know, there's still um, much work that we're, we're doing and many ongoing efforts to rematriate, rematriate the land. Um, and those large, you know, efforts of like farming and um, growing our traditional foods, um, connecting with, with nature, um, those are all things that I personally would love to be able to share, you know, with other native people, indigenous people. Um, there's so many indigenous life ways that um, are there to be learned and shared and experienced with other indigenous people. The other parts that, that I, I want us to think about that are so connected again with the land and with, um, with the conditions of living in stolen land um, is also the ways in which this, um, this colonial project has created an ecocide that has lasted on since 1492. So it's been more than 529, 28 years of this violence, of this complete destruction of the systems. You know, I think elders, when, when, um, when Standing Rock was happening, elders were saying, you know, before the, the apocalypse of 1492, um, the rivers were clean. Um, you could drink from the rivers, right? Um, the water was clean. I know that that's the case um, also in in the part where my mom's lineage is from, from where my mother's people are from in Mexico, currently Mexico City, Mexico Tenochtitlan. Um, one of our Tlatuani, one of our leaders, our great leaders, Nezahualcoyo, who was a poet, an engineer, a great warrior, and also an urban planner, designed a system that would uh, clean water that was utilized from a river, because you have to remember that Mexico City, as it's called now, Mexico Tenochtitlan, was built on top of a lagoon, and the water is like salt, salty, so you can't drink that water. So the water had to be brought from somewhere else, but it was also, there was a mechanism that was constructed that would take the water back and purify it through a biomechanisms. Um, and, and I think that's important for us to remember as well. And, to, and, and when we look at the struggles that are ongoing in Turtle Island, in Anahuaca, in Abiyayala, in many places uh, outside of this uh, mass of land, um, we're seeing the, the um, the ways in which water protectors and land defenders from multiple nations, from different communities are, are being harassed, attacked and assassinated across different uh, nation states. Um, and so it, you know, when we're looking at what does it mean for our alliance, Right. Not only does it mean uh, that we're recognizing each other as family, but that we're also recognizing our common, our, our, the commonalities, our differences, which are important, the ways in which uh, we have hurt each other, the ways in which we have supported each other, but more importantly, the real focus of our life, which is to be in harmony with the earth. And in participating in different systems that have been set up through capitalism since the 16th century and really since the 15th century, um, 
what has happened is what we're seeing now. You know, last year in California, we saw a red sky. You know, we're seeing the, the types of solutions that capitalism is presenting is buying a filter uh, for your house, buying an air filter for your house, buying masks for your house. The solution is not looking at the concrete ways in which all of us are hurting this planet and the finite system that we are existing in. And I think um, as we continue to move, we have some serious conversations with serious actions to impart. And I fear and it it hurts me to think that perhaps maybe we won't see that, you know? Um, perhaps maybe we won't see that, but perhaps we'll do something to help the next generation not have to have a red sky. And be able to have clean water, you know, and, and ooh, I'm getting emotional because it's very real. You know, I have um, friends who have lost their families. Um, I have um, a friend um, from the Mije region who whose father was assassinated two years ago because he was a, a land defender and he's fighting the Mexican government who's trying to build the, the, the so-called um, the Maya train and just destroying all of this land through the southern part of what is now called Mexico in, in Oaxaca. One of our, one of the people in my community, Filiberta Nevados Templos, uh, they attempted to assassinate her last year in 2020 uh, because she's defending uh, the forest in Sacacuautla in Hidalgo, you know, and we see that also happening here. Um, you know, Dion and I have a friend who was in jail for almost like a year and a half, if not two years, and when and he didn't see the his baby, the first year of his baby. They're doing these things, and you know, I think we we have some serious things to do. Um, and so, the, you know, this division or this fighting between us is a distraction. It's a it's a very dangerous distraction for the for, from the real work that we have to do. I'm Nicole Glenser. Um, I was wondering as you as you talk about you know this the division and the fighting that's I mean just so prevalent everywhere. Um, in in the work that you both do, are there areas where you've seen especially good examples of people kind of identifying their own bias and overcoming or addressing their bias to come to a better um, a better way of dealing with conflict and differences? What do you think, Dio? I think in a way we are that example, you know, because I think everything that is constructed through the nation states doesn't want us to be connected and to talk and to build and to share and to exchange. Um, and I think um, in in our relationship and our, our collaboration, what we've discovered together through through doing workshops, through doing talks, through doing a tour, through making music, through through fighting for water and land, um, is also more more moments like this where we are one recognizing each other, 
despite the fact that we might look different or that we may come from different places or that we may speak different languages. Um, and, and I really saw that personally um, in my brief times, the, the two times I went to Standing Rock. I think that that was a, a really important moment for um, all our, our generations, multiple generations. But I think the generation of, of people um, that we were in proximity to, seeing so many people from so many different nations and seeing the ways in which we can support each other and the ways that we, we, we try to stay in touch with each other and, and the ways we try to link with each other, build with each other. I think those are examples of ways to, to one, fight ignorance, two, um, con love each other, and three, again, build autonomy together. Yes, I... I echo that about, you know, Standing Rock and the, the opportunity to also um, get to know each other and get to understand people's communities and backgrounds. And um, like I, I mentioned, I'm a, you know, Native person who didn't grow around many people from the South, you know, and so I didn't know, I didn't, I barely had any corn tortillas, you know, I didn't know what an arepa was, I didn't know what difference between um, you know, uh, papusa or, you know, uh, and I was so grateful to be at Standing Rock with people who were like, no, we'll, we'll cook pozole. We're down. We're going to cook it the right way. And, you know, folks, um, creating community and there being many different opportunities for us to learn with and, and from each other. Um, I'm in a partnership with, you know, my partner is from Brazil as well. And we're working on a uh, land rematriation um, land back project that's going to be Haudenosaunee um, queer led, um, but will include BIPOC community um, so that we can have places, you know, we can have um, land, we can have cornfields to learn with and learn from each other. So I'm also like answering that direct call to create more spaces um, where we can center love and joy and healing and ceremony and prayer and um, uplift trans folks and uplift people with all different backgrounds and not create any type of um, supremacy of language or supremacy of experience, you know. Um, I also do work with uh, the new school and their indigenous department um, by helping to create different ties and links of understanding to indigenous sovereignty, what indigenous sovereignty is and how people um, who aren't native to these territories can uphold and uplift that um, because it is a working relationship and it, it does take time and it takes effort. It takes generations, you know, and it takes um, generations after that and even consideration beyond that. Um, but I'm glad to be a part of these conversations. Hi, I'm Diana. So, so appreciate this conversation uh, that's happening. And um, I've lived between North and South America for many, many years. And I just wanted to go back to that moment of Dapple. And I think that that was a moment, it definitely was a huge turning point, at least from my own point of view uh, in North, South, 
I know the people of Ecuador from Sarayaku were some of the first people to show up at DAPO to show their support in, in defense of land and territory. And that's just so, so central. Um, but, you know, I'm a media maker and a media teacher, and I've looked at media and culture for many, many years. And I guess the question I have for both of you right now is, um, like, it's always been so important, like media and culture in terms of raging against cultural and historic erasure. And, um, but it seems to me that there's, we're in this unique moment, we're in this moment right now, I don't want to say unique, but there's a certain moment where a lot of misrepresentation, underrepresentation, criminalization is being questioned on a huge, in a, in a very big way. Um, and I just wanted to ask both of you what you think about that from your own place, your own position, right? Of how, how do you see this moment, la coyuntura, right? The, the moment that we're in right this second in terms of, you know, just representation in culture and music and food in ethnicity. And if it feels different from you and like if it does, but what are the challenges that even that bring? Thanks for the, the question. Um... Yeah, I think we're in a age of, of access and visibility. I don't recall who said the um, saying, but you know, there's one I keep thinking of visibility is a trap. Um, and we're in the age of, you know, I'm, for example, get booked to go to do, um, key, <clears throat> excuse me, keynote speaks, speak, keynote speeches at um, various universities like Yale, Stanford, Columbia, Brown, all over. And um, this work has slowed down and there's a lot of gained popularity around social media, TikTok artists, um, Instagram personalities. And these are a lot of the people who are now getting booked by universities, for example. Um, and it is a time of hyper visibility. You know, it is a time of like, extreme exposure and lots of access to content um, <clears throat> by many different indigenous content creators, whatever that, that may mean. Um, but I also think, you know, this is a, you know, the fight has, you know, been ongoing. It's been an ongoing um, resistance since arrival here, here on Turtle Island. Um, but we're definitely, you know, entering into a, a new phase by having um, so much newfound access to indigenous languages, cultures, traditions, ancestry um, online. And I often say I am a dying breed now. I think I've hit that point and I often go online and see what I call culture vultures grabbing at Haudenosaunee culture, teaching all these things. And I come from a place of protocol and permission and consent. And that's how teachings are handed off. They're not handed off on YouTube, but I'm an artist and I'm making an amazing song about all of that. So I try to channel, you know, um, my criticisms on society and turn it into something cool, witty, snarky, fun and upbeat because I'm not trying to be too much of a, a downer or else perhaps we're going to just lose the youth all fully. So 
I do understand like the importance of creating access, but I'm also like um, positioning myself to do more rematriation work with the land. Um, yeah, I hope that answers your question somewhat. What are, what are you thinking, Professor V? <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's important. What you said is really important, you know. Um, thank you for bringing that up. I think about that too. I think, um, again, you know, in looking at, at the principles that are leading a lot of our community, not just the use of, again, the exploitation of, of money and power and sex, that is, for the most part, um, what the algorithm wants to for for folks to produce because we also have to think about like who is designing these programs right and for what purposes are they being designed I think um, I think about this in a way in the in, in and I go back to ancestral teachings I think about all of these as a tool um, and we can think about it as a knife. Right. And this also is very much coming from my teachers who I mentioned, but um, thinking about um, technology as a knife, you can use a knife to cut uh, potatoes and, and, and tomatoes and onions and make a really delicious soup. Or you can use a knife to hurt somebody. It all depends on how you use it, right? How you use it and the discernment that's being that's being taken to use. I think, unfortunately, there's a lack of um, there's a lack of discipline. Um, I see that also as a teacher. I've been teaching for 14 years, and something that I see is um, overall most of these uh, large education system public schools are really failing our children. Um, because of the model that they're using. I think there's, of course, good teachers, people that are doing the best with very little or almost nothing. Um, but I also think about um, the same thing with media. Media and media production um, is a tool, so it depends on how you use it. And I think in uh, particularly for the Latinx, Latina community, what, what I'm seeing is um, constantly we're there, there's still a tokenization of fetishization and the way that it impacts I'm just going to speak not it's such a complex thing but I'll just speak on the women the way that it impacts the women is really scary because um, there's very high levels of sexual assault sexual abuse human trafficking we see that also uh, with native women here um, two-spirit uh, two trans uh, women um, in uh, Turtle Island, and what I, what I see is the war. What what uh, Roberto Sintli Rodriguez calls the war of images, something that started from the beginning of the colonial period that is still continuing on. Because we have to remember that one of the arms of the U.S. military is Hollywood, and so that is one of the ways in in which it has not only delegitimized us violented us, but it also dehumanizes us in our own eyes, if you're consuming that without discernment, and then also in the eyes of others. And so you see the ways in which Latina women, Native women are being represented, and it's extremely uh, distasteful, is violent, and it has very concrete, horrifying uh, impacts on our community. So for having, um, you know, a tiny platform that I have that Dio has, the media that we try to produce tries to counter that. And of course, we're not gonna have 
the same level of um, reach as, I don't know, somebody like, I don't know, whoever that is part of the mainstream machine. But I think in just having, um, whenever you're teaching this or whenever you're uh, you're as an auntie, as a community member, as a mother, as a father, as a parent, as a guardian, as a cousin, whenever you're, uh, you're watching media, you have to remind the young people and even people our age, people older, that this is a fallacy, that people have to use discernment when looking at this, because the ways that it enters the mind and the ways that it impacts us are very, very, very concrete, right? And so I think it's, um, I think um, it's important for us to teach that. So I'm happy that you know that you're here. I'm happy to, to hear that you're teaching that and I hope that you pass that that message to um to other people um and I think um you know in in other ways and and I think in similar to what um Dio is saying um having that discernment of knowing what to share what not to share having a discernment of knowing how to use this when to use it and furthermore I think there is this uh in this capitalist society, I see it very strongly in the U.S. Um, of thinking, you know, I have to have this in order to make it, right? I have to have this computer, I have to have these headphones, or I have to have this program, or I need to have this thing in order to do this thing. And I think that's really dangerous, right? This idea that you have to have something new in order to be creative is very dangerous. Um, and because it, what it what is teaching us is that we are dependent on this thing as opposed to we need to work internally with ourselves to 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 express and i think furthermore expression and passing our stories um is like breathing and drinking water we we are we are a species that requires storytelling and sharing and exchanging and so um, you know, in the next years, I think what will be important is not just what me and Dio or people, you know, that are here are doing, but how we model for the young, younger generations to interact with these things, right? Uh, indigenous peoples have always been at the forefront of technology. I think that's important also to remember. Indigenous people developed the zero. You know, without the zero, there wouldn't be any code. There, we wouldn't have Zoom. And I think people forget that. Indigenous people literally were in, 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 a, in a communal relationship with corn to develop it from a grass to a, a, an amazing plant that we can convert into so many things. You know, so we have always been at the forefront of, 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 of developing important things. Um, I think we need to be there, but we need to really model in the best way, have disciplined discernment so that um, as these generations that are going to be born in a time where internet is the reality, um, they are better equipped and more prepared. Um, I think, you know, Dio and I didn't grow up with, <laughs> I didn't grow up with a computer or a, t you know, or like, technology all around me all the time or a cell phone from the time that I was a little baby. So I think it really is up to us to, to prepare them, but also to help them uh, and guide them through modeling.
And Michelle, I saw your hand earlier. Hi, this is very intense. Like you did couch this perfectly, Roseanne, in that these are big conversations. And I want to thank the two presenters today. My question comes from being female and sharing, you know, in the plight with other women, sort of that climb to equality with men. And in in my journey, I find that I struggle mostly with other women. What I find is that other women, instead of helping me or other people that are in similar positions make course corrections, they instead want to replace or remove um, or insult the person that's in the position. And so my question to you, and so I, I brought this up once at, a, at an equity summit that I was at, and, and it, we talked about the idea of crabs being in a bucket and how when you have crabs in a bucket and you have one crab that's trying to climb out, the other crabs pull it back in because they don't want the crab to come out. And so we had this long conversation about how we remove the bucket, because that's the only way to get the crabs from keeping pulling, because they don't treat each other that way when they're in the ocean. So my question to you is, what is our bucket? Is it Western society? Or is it something bigger? Or is it something smaller? That's my question. That's a, that's a great question. Thank you, Michelle, for bringing that up. Um, I think, hmm, I, I think the first thing I think about is, um, is there a bucket, right? Or how have how have we been conditioned to think that there's a bucket, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the other part is sadly what colonization did as well was not only displace the, the, the displace women, gender nonconforming people, people with other uh, ideas of um, the gender or gender fluid, gen gender expansive, to spirit, um, mujer, for example, in Oaxaca. Um, and not only did, did colonization uh, displace us inside community, but um, they erased those histories. So I think it's important for us to look, to try, even though it's hard, to try to look at, at the histories and look at um, our ancestors and see what they did and how they moved, right? So in Mexico, we have a similar to, you know, here in the United States, there's a, a femicide crisis. And in the U.S. is not recognized as such, but that is what it is, that the murder missing indigenous two-spirit trans um, uh, women that are going missing and murdered, it is a femicide crisis. It is part of a crisis that we also see in Mexico. Um, and I think that crisis is also coming, um, sadly, I think, at, like you're saying, from our own, from from other women, right? Other women are also raising men in this way, right? Other women are raising women in this way. And so 
one of the fundamental things that I see is um, that we think that we, similar to what you're bringing up with the crab uh, ideology, is that we think that we have to be in competition with each other, right? And that, um, and not only that we have to be in competition with each other, but that we have to somehow prove to the other that we're above that. And I think this type of mentality is has been so detrimental to the fabric of, of the to the social fabric. Um, and um, what we see is the ways in which um, so many uh, young girls, I see it in the Latina, Latino community, are oppressed by their own grandmothers or mothers or aunties. And so oftentimes they'll act, you know, in hurt in reactionary ways. And because of the sexist, violent system that we're existing in, um, they're exposed to more violence in some ways. You know, I'm I'm saying this also um, recently this year. Um, one of my cousins was assassinated. Um, we think it was um, her partner. We think it was the husband, um, and it was brutally assassinated. Um, you know, 28 years old, had a three-year-old girl. So I think what I also so when we, you know, when this happened, a lot of my work is anti-patriarchal. A lot of my work looks at different relationships um, between each other. Um, I had to really think about that, and I had to really, for many years, I blamed the men. You know, I was like, these men—they're ruining our lives. You know, as a person that has survived sexual assault. Um, sexual violence, you know, I had this very intense feeling, but I also had to recognize what are the women doing to uphold the patriarchy? And so I think we have to check ourselves continuously and check other women around us, right? So I have to do that with my grandma. I would have to, you know, my grandma would, and, and, to, and to be very fair, my grandma in her own generation and in her own right, was uh, a person that um, broke uh, a pattern of violence by leaving my, my, my grandfather. Women in her generation didn't do that. She was very much, you know, um, very different in this way. And so there's things she cannot see, but I'm gonna try to help her see that. And there's things that I can't see that other people point out to me. So I think, again, like Dio was saying, you know, being, being willing to come to other people with love, not in this way of like, you know, I'm, I have one finger, but like four of them are pointing back at me, right? Um, but in this way of, you know, there's a, there's a saying that, that the elders brought up, and it's more or less comes like this, is one of the 20 advices from indigenous people in Mexico. I'm not gonna say it precisely, but it says something like, um, your head hurts me. So I have to talk to you to figure out what, you know, what's wrong. Because I think that's the other part, you know, like what, how are the, how have we been conditioned by media, um, by our families, by religion, particularly uh, Judeo-Christian religion, to think of ourselves as less, to think of ourselves 
Um, and, and then others think of this of us in that way. And in, in some way, society makes us kind of pushes us to into these positions where almost when you are in that position, it's like you're agreeing to this. You know, I don't know if all of this is making sense, but I think it's one looking at our own uh, conditionment and constantly relearning to looking and, and speaking with love to the people around us, the older people and the younger people. And, and three, being really mindful. And, and really, I think ultimately it all, you know, goes back to you. Like, what are you modeling, right? What are you modeling? I, I can't control what, what X, Y, and C are doing, but I can control what I'm doing. And I'm going to try to model the best thing. Right. So what does it mean to be a sister? Right. Um, I, I look at that and I look sometimes at the relationships in my family and I see a lot of a lot of sadness, a lot of toxicity. Um, I also see a lot of resiliency, a lot of power. And so I try to as much as I can to try to look at that shadow part of myself, of that toxicity that's inside of me and try to talk to it and try to not make it grow. It's always going to be there. We have the capability of being horrible humans and we have the capability of being incredible humans. It's all in the decisions and in the words that we choose every single moment, right? So I think it, it goes back to like, what are you modeling? And then sometimes, you know, sometimes you have to take it some distance. Um, and I, I think ultimately it's trying to model the best thing that you can model. Um, I don't know what deal, what you got to say. Dio, is there any last, Dio or Chiodima, was there any last closing comments before we wrap up? Yeah, I'll, I'll just, you know, add on to that, that I always reflect on, on systems that worked, you know, prior to patriarchy and why is it that patriarchy and capitalism put us in competition with each other? Um, why do we feel like there's so many limited seats at the table? Um, and continuously re reflecting on that and what, what scarcity is and why, how do we create more access? Um, how do we create more healing? Um, and how do we create more, more opportunities for, for shared joy um, and time for celebration? Because this work is, is so heavy, you know? And that's often why like, a lot of times after these chats, Choti and I do like a concert or a show as well to like, you know, bring, this is all context for our music and our art, but to bring people together, you know, because um, yeah, this was a heavy, heavy conversation. And I hope folks, you know, get a nice glass of water or tea and a good stretch in after this and maybe feel that, feel the air on your face. And because this was, we, we held a lot today and I want to thank everybody who, made it made it here and spent time with us it was an honor really yeah i agree um thank you so much Dio, for being here and and thank you all uh for listening to us i i also you know i i know that uh we might be some of the youngest people here so um that's an honor just you know to be uh you know given the mic um to be allowed to speak and to share uh, means a lot to us. And I think um, we need more uh, transgenerational spaces like this. We need to listen to each other. Um, uh, I think also 
something I see that I, I the last things I want to leave is um, trying to um, really love on on the the grandparents, you know, the elders in the communities. Um, I I think that something that I see is the the eldest people are um, oft sometimes uh, neglected, you know. So just want to um, say that something's telling me also to bring that up. Um, I think so much of our power as people is how often our communities have been multi-generational. So we have to really hold on to that. Uh, and uh, Roseanne, I just want to say thank you for creating this multi-generational space and um, this space with so many different relatives and so many different people. And um, and I want to remind you just something that my teacher says, you are a universal force. Don't forget that, you know, you are a force of the universe. And and so use that, you know, use use this power that you have and this energy that, that so many plants and animals are giving you um, in this moment, use it. Um, in, in the best way that you can. Um, and I think, you know, I hope we are able to continue this dialogue. Um, uh, thank you so much, Roseanne, for making this happen. Thank you, Professor V, and thank you, Theo, for joining us today. And thank you to all the relatives that I see on the virtual gathering right now, and for those that are gonna be listening after, because we are recording and um, there were some really, um, intense topics that we covered and I felt um, things firing off for me in my brain and I'm sure those of you listening um, had a similar experience and, and that message that our real purpose um, here is to be in harmony with earth and that um, what does it mean to be a sister or to be a relative right that we're all connected in some way and then um, that last message that we are forces of the universe so I ask that everyone hold that in their hearts. And I will also make sure that this is uploaded on the Mendocino Latinx Alliance Facebook page. Um, so you can um, be sure to share it with your, um, with your circles as well. Thank you everyone so much for joining us. That was a special broadcast of the Mendocino Latinx Alliance's November virtual program titled Historical Context of Racial Relations Among Latino and Native Populations in California. Thanks very much for listening.